Good morning, church. Welcome. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Would you please join me in God's Word? If you have your Bible or if you need to open your app, join me in the first chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our series this week on Christmas through the Gospels. And so we're taking each week leading up to Christmas Eve, as Anna just talked about, uh, where we're going to be looking at each one of the Gospel accounts. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on their accounts of the coming of the Savior. And I don't know about you, but I've so enjoyed this series thus far, even just things that may be very familiar aspects of the Christmas account and the ways that different gospel writers capture those for us to to be able to benefit from. But more than anything, it gives us an opportunity to just slow down in reflection in this season and to savor this season and not have it be something that we just rush through. And so this morning... We're going to have actually quite a lengthy passage, and I knew that you didn't want to hear my voice for that, so would you please welcome Miss Kate Nolette as she brings the reading of God's Word this morning from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. There's something special in this season about just hearing extended passages read from God's word. I don't want us to get lost in the details, and so there may be a couple places where I try to help fill in some context for us to understand what's happening in these passages. But we have two responses to an angelic visit. We have two responses here to the word of the Lord. We have two responses that model something for us to learn from today. You know, this was not an easy time in Israel's history. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about this day that is captured for us in this account in Luke. It was not an easy time in Israel's history. They were going through turmoil, and much was going on around them. And, and that seems to be Israel's lot throughout Scripture, doesn't it? It's actually something that's told of them. It's why we pray for the nation of Israel. Yes, we pray for those who are innocent in the midst of strife and conflict over in the Middle East today, but Scripture instructs us something about the nation of Israel. 
And this was not an easy time there, so we can immediately begin to understand the context of what's going on culturally in that moment, in that day. It's not an easy time, and we're introduced to two characters right out of the, the gate, Zechariah and Elizabeth. These were descendants from Aaron. This is a part of the tribe of Aaron, and these are a people that were serving in the temple, all the way going back to the time of King David. Both are said to be righteous people. Both are said to be faithful individuals, even in their old age, even in their advanced years. But we're introduced to a sad situation that we need to understand rightly to begin to take this passage and understand from it what God has for us today. This is a sad situation for this family. They don't have children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. It would have been a longing that they would have had for years to have a child. And so I wonder when the question came into their mind, are we truly righteous? Are we truly faithful people if the Lord hasn't blessed us? How many of us can at times have that sense of, when we don't see life going the way that we expected it to, when the season of life that we're in is different than what we imagined maybe years or decades ago, how often do we begin to have those little seeds of doubt just sown into our minds? Are we really the Lord's servant? How often we conflate God's approval with our blessing. I don't know what you're walking through today. I had the opportunity yesterday. I was at two different hospital visits in the afternoon. I don't know what you're walking through today. I know that, that may, this service may be streamed into hospital rooms or other places where people are ill today and not able to join with us. But here is the truth from God's word. What you're walking through isn't a sign of his blessing. In other words, if you're walking through the, the lowest of valleys in terms of that kind of illustration, God is with you. If you're walking through the highest of highs and everything is just going great, be careful how you talk about that. But the good news is not the high highs that you're walking through. It's that the Lord God is with you. But we're introduced in this sad situation to what might be a temptation for Elizabeth and for Zechariah in the midst of their years and years of faithful service. Why is it that we now suffer the stigma and shame of not having children? This prayer that they would have prayed for years and years and years to be blessed with children. I wonder at what point did it go from what God could do in giving them children to realization that what God would not do. I wonder if they ever stopped praying about it. I wonder if we can find ourselves in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story at this point. I hope that you can because I think that it's good for us to understand that these accounts don't just capture super Christians. They capture people seeking to be faithful to God, just like you and me, struggling with that, having those moments of doubt even. It's not the thing that we necessarily walk into community group on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night or whenever you go to community group and just go, hey, everybody, I just want to let you know I'm doubting today. I'm doubting the, the Lord's promises today. Let's have some chips and salsa. And yet, how often is that what we're wearing with the things that weigh us down in this life? Doubt. Plain and simple. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth actually set an example for us in something. 
They set an example for us in what it looks like for us to serve God even in the midst of disappointment. I think if I were to go around and just poll the room and just say, is anybody walking through any type of disappointment today? I think it would be very easy for us to have a very high percentage of people that are walking through some form of disappointment. Elizabeth and Zechariah set an example for us in what it means to serve God in the midst of disappointment. You see, if, if you're serving God for what you get, you're not serving God. You're serving yourself. If you're here today because you are expecting something from God and you think, you know what, I haven't done, I haven't gone to church in a little while. Let me do that so that the Lord answers this prayer. That is not serving God. It's serving yourself. You are not God. Praise God. You're serving yourself. And I know that that seems like this confrontational message at Christmas, but Christmas time confronts us with this truth. We, in and of ourselves, are not enough to bring glory to God. We need a Savior to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And yet, here is where we are brought back to this message of hope in serving God through disappointment. What does it look like to respond rightly? See, what our prayer is, is that we would be faithful beyond the years of what we hope for even today, even as Zechariah and Elizabeth are, because God's our true hope, not the things that we receive from him. Mike was right just a moment ago. This is a season of giving. We'll talk about this more in the weeks ahead, but one of my favorite questions to ask right now is, what is the gift that you are most looking forward to giving this year? Because it gets us out of that mindset of get. Now, you have to be careful when you ask that question if they're around the person that they're going to be giving that gift to. But it's amazing to see how people will be intentional with the gifts that they seek to give one another. The thought that goes into it. That's part of what makes those such a precious gift, isn't it? The gift of God's Son is the most intentional, thoughtful, heartfelt gift ever given. It was a part of his plan all along. And Gabriel's visit and his prophecy to Zechariah and Elizabeth tell us that. What does he tell them in this once-in-a-lifetime call up to service for Zechariah? In this moment where he has probably been waiting for all of his career in his priestly service in the temple. It actually says in the scripture that he had this honor by lot, that there was a lot being drawn and it fell on his number for that day. Now the priests would have been so many that they would only serve at one time in the temple. And so the lot falling on Zechariah shows us once again the intentionality of God's message of good news coming to the earth. There was not by chance. This was very much an on purpose by God. It's a part of his plan of redemption. And in this moment, he has an angelic visit. I don't know about you. It's not my common experience when I come into the church on Sundays is to have an angelic visit. Perhaps I've had a visit and been unaware. Scripture tells us that's a possibility. I do believe that I've had encounters with angels. It's not the thing that I talk about all the time. I wonder how many of us have had those types of experiences and, and you're just not sure how to interact with them. Well, Scripture gives us some instruction how to do that because Gabriel says right out of the gate, do not be afraid. 
Now, why would Zechariah, a priest in the temple, have been afraid when he was in the Holy of Holies giving this offering of incense? Because typically in the Old Testament, an angelic visit was not good news. And his message is this, this time do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Let's just pause there for a moment. I wonder if Zechariah even knew what prayers Gabriel was talking about in this moment. Which prayer is that? Is it the prayer for my health? Is it the prayer for this thing that's going on in the city? Is it the prayer for this thing, situation I'm aware of in, in the temple? Your prayers have been heard. What an encouragement for us today that the Lord hears our prayers. Those prayers, those longings in our heart, the things that are going on with those folks that I was visiting in the hospital yesterday, the things that are going on with you sitting here today, I don't hear those prayers. The God of the universe hears those prayers. This is a part of what Gabriel tells in this moment. Don't be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayers. Why? Because Zechariah is just that good of a prayer warrior. He has the gift of intercession. No. Because the God of the universe hears these things. He knows these things about his people. And he hears them and carries them on his heart. What else does Gabriel tell? Well, There's going to be joy and delight for you and for many others in rejoicing in the birth of this child. That he will be the child that will be great in the sight of the Lord. We talked about this a little bit last week. That he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he would have this spirit like Elijah. He would go before the Lord. You know, last week I spoke about introductions, and most of the time when you're introducing somebody, you're talking about their past accomplishments. Gabriel's introducing John by saying what he is called to for the rest of his life. That's quite the introduction. I've had the opportunity to introduce a few different people, and what I've never attempted to do is say who they would become. That's a dangerous step, isn't it? And yet Gabriel knows who this is because he is intimately a part of God's plan for his people in this baby John. And what does Zechariah do in response? In the midst of this good news coming to Zechariah, how does he respond? He says, well, how can I know this? An angel was not enough for Zechariah. Just think about that for a moment. An angel was not enough. Prove it. Prove it to me. Well, I wonder how often we respond in the same way. Prove it to me. My circumstances are this. I'm old. So is my wife. Uh, prove it how that's going to be what it is that you've called us to. And it kind of brought to mind that I don't recommend necessarily trying this experiment, but I have a couple quarters in my pocket here. I've, I can block the sun at noontime with this quarter by holding it more closely to my eye. And I wonder how often the circumstances of our lives are like this quarter where we so focus on them and hold them so close and so dear in what our view of our life is, that we block what God has for us. What's your quarter today? 
What's the thing that you're, maybe you've got multiple things and you're just blinded to what God's doing in the midst of your life. What are the things that, that kind of represent your quarter that you're holding up so closely, so near, so dear to you that you can't see what God is doing in the midst of that circumstance? What's the thing that in light of the greatness of God is nothing, that he can't deal with it? What's the circumstance that you're walking through? This is what Zechariah seems to kind of lean into in that moment, his quarter, so to speak, the thing that's going to block him from being able to see when we think that our problems are great and that God is great at the same time. See, both can't be the same. No one can serve two masters. We can be so focused on our problems that we don't hear God's promises. We fail to believe in God's power in that moment. And when our eyes are on our problems, what we don't do in the midst of that is recall God's word and how it applies to us in that circumstance. This is what Zechariah was struggling with in this moment. Zechariah, a priest in the temple, forgets about Abraham, doesn't he? Abraham in Genesis 17, 17, where he was in the exact same situation, wanting a child, but he and his wife were far too old. And what did God do? He gave Abraham and Sarah a son when they were nearly 100 years old. Zechariah should have remembered God's word in that moment. What he was focused on was his limitation instead. He was holding that more dear in his view than the power and the glory of God. I wonder how many of us can be in the holiest of places, focused on our circumstances, not believing God. Unbelief is sneaky, isn't it? It sneaks in in those moments where we need God's power the most, and yet what feels more close and more comfortable is unbelief. I can struggle with unbelief even standing here right now, proclaiming the good news of the gospel and not believing that anyone would be saved. I'm not in that place today, but when I'm in a place of unbelief, may I cry out in the same way that the centurion does. I believe God help my unbelief. What if you're someone who's sharing the good news of the gospel in your workplace? Do you believe that your coworkers will listen? What if you're married and don't believe that your spouse is a gift from the Lord? help our unbelief? What if you're praying for your heart's deepest desire and in the midst of that prayer, just laced throughout it, are these moments of unbelief? See, that was Zechariah. It's many of us today. It can be me. It can be any of us in this day. And this lesson applies to all of us, but I do want to just take a moment for a specific word to those who are older amongst us, older Christians in particular. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. Define older. How to lose a congregation in one sentence. How about I just define it this way? If you feel like what I'm talking about, I'm talking to you. How many of us can walk through life with these sneaky unbeliefs coming into our thinking? Don't let your age hinder you from the purposes of God for you and through you. I'd say this to those Christians who have been 
living a life for God and maybe had moments of epic failure, don't let your failure limit the power of God. The gospel's big enough to handle you. See, you are not forgotten in God's plans any more than Elizabeth and Zechariah were forgotten in his plans. He has good for you. You are a vital part of God's plan for his church. Actually, without you, we can't do something that we are told explicitly to do in in Matthew chapter 28, and that is to make disciples. See, we need the voice of those who have served for some time. We need the voice of those who have failed and met a Savior who is enough for their failures. We need that kind of maturity. I was joking with Mike, it's pretty rare that Mike can pull out a a random song reference of a song that I haven't heard before. But you know, that's actually something good. He's referencing a song from the 70s, when I didn't exist. More than a good joke, there's good in having voices around us that have years and decades of serving God ahead of us. You know, on occasion, we have two mics on our eldership. Both of them are bivocational. They're pastors here in the church. And at times, their most helpful voice is telling me what doesn't matter. It's what doesn't matter. Chris, don't give your energy to that. Don't waste your energy on that. But it seems so important. It's so close. It's so near. It just seems so big. Don't give energy and time to that. That's a voice of wisdom. That's a voice of experience. It's a voice that all of us should seek in discipleship in the church. I've never regretted listening to that. I've only regretted ignoring their counsel in those moments. I wonder, church, if this is a way that God, even through this passage today, wants to grow us all up a little bit this Christmas time. See, Christ has ordered things in his church so that older persons would teach the younger. It says that in Titus chapter 2. So for our older members, for our members who have experienced failure, failure that they believe disqualifies them from the purposes of God and that you're just along for the ride, don't buy that lie. Don't buy that lie. Drive a little. Don't just be along for the ride. Contribute to the trip that we're on as we all travel in an eternal direction together. I don't want you to sit in a corner and forget about you. You know, it'd be a shame for us as a church to ignore those who are older and forgotten throughout society. Ignored as if they have nothing to contribute. No, the church is a place that treasures you. You are treasured here. You are needed here. Wherever this is a reminder of God's plan for your life, we want to see you active and involved and a part of all that God is doing 
throughout his church. Don't make your age or your failure your quarter and block the things that God has. Keep living for God. Keep serving him with the strength and the wisdom that he supplies. Now that's specifically for those who are older, but I believe that all of us probably have a quarter in our lives, don't we? What's your quarter this morning? What's the thing? I just want to take a moment right now. We're just going to pray for it right now. What's your quarter? What's the thing that you're holding up and saying, it's actually holding God out of something in your life? Holy Spirit, as you reveal right now, would you also remove? As you reveal to people this morning what that thing is, that circumstance, that failure, that disqualifier, that excuse, that reason, That seems so close, it seems bigger than your power to redeem. As you reveal, Holy Spirit, would you also give the strength to remove? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you imagine telling an angel he's not enough? I can't. I don't advise it. Should you ever have an angelic encounter, I don't advise telling him he's not enough. And what does Gabriel do? He says, I am Gabriel, verse 19. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent here to tell you this. That's quite the rebuke. That's quite the response. But more than that, Zechariah is going to find out the hard way that it is better to receive and share a word from the Lord than to doubt it. His mouth is shut. So that's the first part of what we see in this account. We see Zechariah and his unbelief in this moment. But Luke chapter 1 goes on and we are introduced to Mary and to Joseph. And then all of a sudden we're brought into this greeting from Gabriel once again. Mary was chosen by God because she was the best of the best. Because she was the perfect one to go along with everything that God had said. No, Mary was chosen by an act of God's grace on her life. That's all. God's grace. The same way that you and I are chosen. It is not by any merit that we bring in. It is by the grace of God alone. And what does he promise? That she too will conceive and she's going to name him Jesus because he will save as Matthew 1.21 says, he will save his people from their sins. Mary's son will be the son of God, the most high. Different than any human could dream or imagine. This is God's plan. This is his way of acting. This is his way of interacting with history. And the son is going to fulfill the promise made to King David hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in 2 Samuel 7. That this will be David's son who rules over Israel forever in an everlasting kingdom. Whereas John is a part of prophecy, Jesus is God's plan for us as his people. And how does Mary respond? Quite differently, in contrast to Zechariah. She responds with a question, but there's no unbelief in her question. She's not asking, can you do it? She says to Gabriel, and, and how will you do it? Her question builds on faith, not on unbelief. 
That's why Gabriel doesn't rebuke her. That's why he engages with this. And he comes in and he explains in verses 35 through 37 that the, the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. And it brings to mind the imagery of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep in creation. Jesus is quoted as saying in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, As he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father, a body was prepared, prepared for God the Son who would be brought forth by Mary. Because Christ is truly God and because he is truly man, he is the perfect Savior. See, Jesus needed to be God for this reason, to supply the righteousness that humans do not have in and of themselves. It's not something that they could earn or achieve on their own. But Jesus also needed to be man to supply to God the sacrifice that we owe. It's what it means for him to be truly God and truly man. He is the only mediator between God and men. He's the only way for us to come to God. We don't have to stumble at Jesus' deity and humanity. We can hold those two truths at the same time. The angel assures Mary, look at verse 37 where it says this, nothing will be impossible with God. You see, the moment that you admit the existence of God, you have to deny the impossible. Do you realize that? To acknowledge that there is a God means that you are denying the impossible. And with God, it's nothing that a barren woman and a virgin would both conceive. With God, nothing is impossible. In fact, that's just like the way that God works. And how does Mary respond? With belief. See, Zechariah stumbles in unbelief and Mary yields to God's plan and faith. She sounds a lot like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when he says, here I am, send me. She sounds a lot like Esther in Esther 4.16 saying, if I perish, I perish. She sounds like Ruth saying to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. It brings to mind Job where he says in chapter 13, verse 15, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. It reminds us of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying. Father, not my will, but yours be done. See, these are biblical examples of faithful people responding to God's plan. Even when they don't understand it, and they're instructive for us today as well. See, our calling, our challenge, the thing that we should take from this passage is that we can respond in faith, praising God even before the work is completed. I see so many parents do this as they continue to pray in faith for their children who are not serving the Lord. I see this in so many that have a sense of God's call on their life and the timing of it just hasn't worked out quite yet. I see it so much throughout the church where people are praising God even though they don't understand the plan of God. I heard it from a wife yesterday in the hospital. As she stands for life honoring the dignity of life. See, our challenge in this life is responding to the circumstances that we face with faith. Believing in the God of the impossible even 
before his work is completed. What does Elizabeth confess? Well, it's captured for us in verses 41 through 45 where she knows that God's fulfillment is at hand and Mary had believed it too. See, God had a plan. And our most basic part in God's plan is to believe in that plan. That's at the fundamental of it. Even before we understand everything about it, these women are models of faith for us. They believe before the plan is fulfilled. And so the question for each of us to wrestle today in our own hearts is, how can we not believe him after we see the fulfillment of this plan? How is it that we can look back on these accounts as they're captured for us in word and respond in disbelief? It's understandable in our humanity, but he provides for what we need, people. He provides for what we need as his people, and we can turn to him. Mary goes on to sing a song of praise, the Magnificat. She rejoices in the Lord. She sees herself as blessed. She has confidence that God fulfills his plans, keeping his promises. And we can praise the Lord as well, even before we see those promises fulfilled. I don't know what your ride in this morning was like. Mine was fairly uneventful, my favorite kind of drive. Uneventful. But how do we prepare to come in and gather on Sunday mornings? See, this isn't just a Christmas word. This is an everyday word. This instructs us for every day. It doesn't just instruct us for Christmas Day. It's not something that we're kind of revving ourselves up for, and then we're just going to see the fulfillment of it, and then just wait till next year to live in the good of it. No, this is an instruction for us every day. What does it look like for us to respond to the circumstances of life? Can we praise God even before we see the fulfillment of his promises? Can we praise God for his plan for life even though we don't see every way that he's going to work it out? Can we praise God for the circumstances that we're walking through that we didn't see coming? Do you notice the basic call is not just belief, it's an expression of praise? When we gather together, are we preparing ourselves to praise the one that we gather for? Are we coming in here with this sense of expectancy because we have been throughout the rest of the week and every day of our lives and all throughout the seasons as they come and go, we have been practicing praising the faithful God. It instructs us how it is that we're to gather, but not just today. It instructs us in how it is that we engage in our homes, how it is that we engage in our workplaces and on our campuses. It's instructive for us to understand that we can praise God even before we see his promises fulfilled. That's what these women of faith do. That's what we're called to each and every day. See, our our sin reminds us that what we deserve from God and his holiness is punishment. We we deserve punishment. Yet when we respond to him in repentance, what do we receive from him? Mercy. Verse 50 of today's text says this. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Guess what? You're one of those generations. His mercy extends to you today. That's the promise of Mary's praise in response. God's mercy 
is for all. There's no more need for virgin birth. We're unlikely to be in a Jewish temple when an angel visits, but we can see and be a part of God's work every day. That's what Mary celebrates. Don't ask God for a sign that his promise will be fulfilled. Look around and see the signs everywhere. Those signs are posted everywhere, and she rejoices in them. Mary rejoices in them. Verse 51, that God scatters the proud. In verse 52, that God topples the mighty. In verse 53, that he sends the rich away empty. The Lord exalts the lowly. He fills the hungry. Do you want to be filled with the riches of God's mercy? It's very simple this morning. Acknowledge the poverty of this life without Him. I don't care where your neighborhood is located. Gated community all the way down to the hood. There is a poverty in this life without God and His mercy. of his mercy have you received them by responding see Mary's example is that she has confidence that God fulfills his plan that he keeps his promises he has helped Israel he has remembered his mercy all that he said to Abraham and Abraham's descendants is about to come pass and it did Christ was born as promised lived a sinless life offered righteousness to God in our place, died a sinner's death, suffering the wrath of God in our place on Calvary's cross, satisfying God's anger. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, proving to us that God had accepted his son's sacrifice on our behalf. And now he calls all of us to repent of our sins. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because the Father's mercy comes to us through His Son. And we should praise God for keeping His promises even before we see them fulfilled in that day when we will join with Him in heaven. That's what these women of faith do. Assured of this, His mercy endures forever.